What's going on, good people? Welcome to the Poor Vera Podcast. I am extremely excited about this show we have with my good friend, Danny Silman, CEO of Relevant Sports. On this episode of the Poor Vera Podcast, we speak about how he started a athlete family office out of his dorm room at the University of Michigan his freshman year in college. We speak about how he's managed Draymond Green's business. We speak about his new role at CEO of Relevant Sports. And we speak about his tactic of co-calling people in an effort to advance his career as a young entrepreneur. Hope you enjoy this show. Peace. Very excited about the show um, today as I have a very good friend of mine um, who needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. Uh, Actually, you have a new title. It's like you're thirty for you're thirty for thirty under thirty, right? You were thirty under thirty. I year? got that last year. Thirty under thirty. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, CEO of Relevant Sports, Danny Silman. Danny, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Appreciate it. I'm great. I'm excited to have you on the show today. I I normally, you know, my producer normally jokes because I don't really prepare a ton. I didn't prepare anything. I literally don't have a question. I don't even have a piece of paper. I don't have anything because we have such a relationship. So. My goal for every interview is that it's conversational. We have no choice but for this to be conversational. Good. Well, I see a good bottle of Sesakaya. <laughs> yes. Yes. hundred. And I got and I got Europe on my mind. So. Yes. So I feel good. Just so just so our listeners and viewers know, um, this show <clears throat> is the only thing standing between Danny and a flight to Europe, which is a business trip, then followed by a vacation. Exactly. So we're the only thing standing between you. So I wanna, um, I wanna start a little bit at the beginning, right? I wanna go back to your days at University of Michigan, um, and you know we can spend the whole show there. But specifically, one piece, right? Um, a good friend of yours, one of your best friends, BG, yep. Brandon Graham, right? He decides to go turn pro, right? And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he has financial advisors and people coming at him, right? As as yep. all high level draft picks um, do. <clears throat> and does he come to you for advice and helping him select? A financial advisor or does he come to you and say hey can you help me figure this whole thing out how's that work so it actually started when i was a freshman end of my freshman year brandon's a, finishing his sophomore year at michigan at this point he's a highly touted prospect and he's got agents he's got financial advisors he's got all sorts of people card dealers uh <laughs> You, you name it, jewelers yeah, I'm sure. showing up outside the practice. You don't got to pay tunnel. for this right now. You don't got to pay. Just take it. You we'll don't give pay it to for, you. Yes. We'll give it to you. Yes. You know that whole pitch. Mm -hmm. We'll give it to you. You should have it. You should hold it for us. <laughs> that was that was the best line. Please hold this for me. Mm -hmm. um, so he had all these types of people waiting outside tunnels, waiting outside practice facilities, calling his mom and dad, calling cousins, trying to figure out how to get to him. And we had built a, a very close relationship. Um, I mean, this guy was coming to Passover Seder with me, with my family. My, so awesome. my grandma is on an oxygen tank still watching Eagles, <laughs> and she's watched Eagles the last 10 I years. It. I love it. So we <laughs> built a great relationship, and he says, you know, will you help me through the process of evaluating the team that I need at the professional level, whether it's an agent or a financial advisor or whatever else? And at first I said, yeah, I'm happy to as a friend. And you're a freshman. Yeah, I'm the end of my freshman year at Michigan. Jesus. How old are you? 18, 19? 18, 19 years old. Jesus. Okay. So, actually, that summer, I went to London 
Um, I went to London School of Economics. I'm living overseas. I had some extra time. I'm having a, a good time. I'm in college. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, it's like going abroad. You're 18, 19 years old. Yeah, exactly. And I started to to listen to what he was saying, and what I realized was, all these financial advisors were pitching to manage Brandon's investments. Mm-hmm. Brandon has no money to invest, and he starts getting pitched by agents. And he had asked for advice or feedback on who are the best agents. Um, and we started as early as, what does an agent even do? Right, I'm sure. What is an agent? And so I actually took myself through the education process because I had no clue what an agent did, what a you know, financial advisor would do for an athlete. But I understood that a financial advisor manages investments. And what I learned was an agent manages a contract process. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, for an NFL player, especially a defensive end like Brandon, you know, you do a contract, especially off a rookie deal, which he'd ultimately have, and you don't really need your agent on a day-to-day basis unless you have an injury or you need to be traded or you're a marginal player and you need looks to go get mm-hmm. into a workout. So ultimately, what would happen on, uh, in terms of protecting Brandon throughout his career in terms of who's going to help him set a budget, who's going to help him get the proper insurance, who's going to make sure when he gets married, ultimately he has an estate plan to protect his future family, um, who's going to handle his tax planning, who's going to handle all of the investments ultimately when they do come from an independent perspective, not somebody who's getting paid based on how he's investing. Mm-hmm. So I started looking and, at all these And things. even before you got to, to that point, Danny, it's like, who's going to let him know he even needs to know that shit, right? It's like, it's one thing to know you need to find the best financial guy, you need to find the best age, you need to find the best, like, you know, family office. It's like, most 19-year-old kids don't even know they need that shit. Exactly. Right? I like, mean, we so, were starting as simple as, what does an agent even do? Well, <laughs> And by the way, the the NCAA works. You're not allowed to talk to agents really mm-hmm. until you're a junior. I don't know if the rules have changed at no, this point. Ten well, years you can't later, talk to them till you till you declare for the draft. Exactly. Yeah. So at this point, the agents are contacting you somewhat illegally. Jesus. And yeah. the good agents actually aren't. So you're getting all the bullshit actually, yeah. Yeah. because you're getting the shitty agents who really don't care about the rules, mm-hmm. and they're just trying to win at all costs. So BG, so Brandon Graham comes to you and says, hey, help me figure this shit out. What's the first thing you do? So I, I start researching, and actually, at this point, this has wavered all the way into the summer of the following year. So it's okay. we've gone through a year of me, Brandon, and my dad <laughs> riffing. So actually, what is the first thing I do? I go to my dad and say, sure. let's help Brandon through the process of finding out what an agent does, making sure he gets the right agent, and then ultimately put the right financial team in place. Mm -hmm. And so we go through that education process. Ultimately, I go take a finance private equity job the following summer, which is after my sophomore year. Brandon is now finishing his junior year at this point. And by the way, the best defensive player other than Lamar Woodley that Michigan's had probably in a couple decades, Mm -hmm. if not one of the best players ever, and is ultimately on his way to be one of the only two-time captains of the school. And now everyone's after him. Everyone's now. after yeah. him. And they're, they're saying at this point he could be second-round pick, something like that, if he comes out. Mm-hmm. So now Brandon's very serious about putting the right team in place, and he didn't even think about the draft. He didn't even really apply for his draft grade. At this point, the university had told him you might be a second-round pick, something of that nature, but he says, I'm coming back. So when he does that... I spend the next summer in what I'm supposed to be 
doing a private equity job, actually interviewing agents before, during, and after work mm -hmm. on his behalf. So I'm meeting Joel Siegel, Drew Rosenhaus, uh, Priority Sports, Rick Smith, um, you know, uh, what is David Dunn's firm? I forget the name of his firm. I'm interviewing all the top agents that I had Googled wow. and tried to find who are the best NFL agents. Now, let me ask you this. I think what most, because at this point, are you 20 yet when you're doing this? Maybe just right, 20. Right, 20? Yeah. Most, because you're a kid, right? Most kids at 20 are thinking to themselves, well, how's this benefit me, right? Yep. Hey, maybe I'll go and be an agent, right? Yep. You never thought like, hey, I want to go be an agent or I want to go actually do this shit. It was, and you weren't making a penny, it's my understanding, throughout any of this process, right? It was just, I want to help my friend. Exactly. It was, it was always about helping Brandon. In fact, I think the more research I did and the more I understood what an agent actually did, mm -hmm. um, for me, that wasn't what I had an interest to do. Yeah. And I had a lot of respect for the top agents and what they had accomplished and what they were doing. But the more I learned, the less I had an interest. Um, in fact, I realized that, uh, you know, being a lawyer and, and going through that process was just not of interest to me. And that's what I really felt like, at least from my education, that, that you really needed to do to be an agent. It just, it, it wasn't the body of work I wanted to be in. You were constantly selling, you were constantly, um, uh, you know, making sure that your guys were good, but the actual work was like once every five years. It's yeah. not like the NBA or even really hands on day or even a right. celebrity where you're looking for movies or TV shows or whatever. Opportunities new, new weekly, opportunities. daily, right? Exactly. So he comes back and now you're actually meeting, you're going through the process of meeting with agents. You're doing all this stuff. Yep. What's that like? So I'm meeting all these agents, you know, I'm, I'm talking to different people, asking questions, just trying to be curious and understand what do the different agents do? let them pitch me. I had positioned myself at least as a friend gatekeeper to Brandon. And so it's funny how small the industry is very quickly. They realize I'm the getting guy. calls. You're the guy. They realize yes. I'm the guy. Yes. Yes. So I'm getting calls from all sorts of different people. Mm -hmm. Um, and quickly took myself through a crash course of being pitched on what does an agent do? Mm -hmm. So, um, most people, Right, would go through that process and say, hey, I helped my friend, cool, we landed him in a situation where we feel great, he gets drafted, and you know, the rest is really history. He's had an incredible <clears> career, he's still having an amazing career, right? He's won a Super Bowl champion, all those things. Um, you go and build kind of a business off of this somewhat, right? Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, so we we go through this process, and this is the summer of my sophomore year, the summer of Brandon's junior year. <laughs> it's crazy to be you're a sophomore in high school and college <laughs> going through this process. So I've, I go through it, and I sit with Brandon, and I say, look, here's the top five agents in the NFL. It's Jimmy Sexton, it's Joel Siegel, it's Drew Rosenhaus, it's Priority Sports, and it's Athletes First. They're all good. Mm -hmm. You'll be fine if you go with any of mm -hmm. them. Um, I'm going to line up three meetings for you of the people I think are best. Does that make sense to you? And he's completely relying on me at this point, and his mom had put a lot of trust in me as well, as well as his father. So his mom, Tasha, and his dad, Derek, they had relied on me to provide information to the whole family at this point. Um, and now thinking back on it, it's kind of fucking crazy because <laughs> I was 20. Um, yeah. But I had put together enough research and memos together and all sorts of information where we, we felt like we were in a good place and we had the top guys. Um, and, and look, it's easy when Brandon Graham is Brandon Graham right. and he's going to be a top 15 pick, pick in the NFL draft. Mm -hmm. So then I started thinking about who is going to take care of your money and I had spent the summer in a finance internship. I, uh, I really didn't enjoy it. I'm sitting behind a computer doing Excel spreadsheets. Um, it's beginning of the crash or the recession 
um, in in the you know late 2007 or 2008. The world's going to shit. Everybody thinks everything's you know going to be bad. And I'm working in a distressed debt firm, and we were buying a paint company, I think, um, if I remember correctly. And I said, this is just not for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm spending more and more time just not really caring about my internship because I, it just wasn't a priority to me to get a job. And I spent more time learning about what it means to build a business for yourself. And I started asking, what do wealthy individuals do to take care of their money? That simple. Okay. And so I started meeting with accountants and investment advisors and uh, attorneys, um, estate specialists, just understanding how a wealthy individual sets themselves up. And I remember drawing a simple picture for Brandon three months later after that summer and saying, look, <clears throat> you need an accountant and an attorney. And those are the two most important people to start your career. Those are the people that are going to help you set a budget. Those are the people going to help you understand um, how to set up your family in terms of an estate plan. Those are the people that are going to help you rent or buy a home when you ultimately move into the market you get drafted to. And these are the foundational needs before you go invest your money. So that's what triggered or, or sparked my mind that the whole system's backwards. Mm-hmm. And most pro athletes hiring financial advisors is the wrong, is the wrong way to do it. But that title, financial advisor, makes you think if you're a young 19-year-old kid, whether you're an athlete or you're in business school, you think this is the person that's going to take care of my money. My finances, yeah. He's going to take all my finances. And you don't know any better, right? You're 19, 20. You're like, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. Exactly. And so what I learned is that's really should be called an investment manager. And their titling and certifications qualify them to be financial advisors. Um, But I started looking into... A different model which is can Brandon hire a family office and really what I learned a family office was is just a vertically integrated financial services firm it's accounting it's tax it's estate planning it's insurance planning it's it's all of the financial planning needs an individual and their family would want all in one house got it and so I started researching firms that would do that for athletes I remember reading an article that Troy Palomalo at the time wow was one of the only athletes that had a multifamily office. And he had made friends with a wealthy individual who kind of brought them into the fold and ultimately set up his vertically integrated financial services business. Um, so that uh, is, is the simplified version of what I ultimately showed Brandon. There was no one doing it. And did he get it immediately? Like, yes, I get it. Check. Let's do that. Or I think I drew a little picture. We, we put some <laughs> skeletons all over the place. And BG said, I, I, I think, honestly, if you ask him, he would tell you he more trusted me than truly understood. Got it. And there was a level of trust in our relationship. He knew that all I wanted to do was take care of him and that I could help teach him and educate him on the process. So we kind of embarked my junior year, his senior year onto the process of learning what he needed to do in terms of setting up a multifamily office for himself. Um, And we understood that there was not a lot of multifamily offices marketed to athletes um, because most wealthy individuals either didn't have relationships with athletes or candidly thought they didn't have enough money to qualify to work with them. and so that's what started the journey. So how's that turn into, you do that, it works out for BG, you build a business out of it and you get other athletes? Yeah, so my junior year, I- <laughs> The fact I, that you're doing all this shit and you're still in college, by the <laughs> way. Your junior year, I was like trying to like 
chase chicks and like like eat pizza four times a day like i wasn't exactly by the way i'm living with a group of guys (laughs) that beyond the fact that i'm ocd um and our house was a shithole um and i feel like i was a maid um you know are being in college and i said to myself look i as you know i like to have a good time but i realized this is a very unique opportunity and i can build a multi-family office for brandon and use Brandon as the building block to ultimately build a much larger company while taking care of him. And that was always the basis for this business, which was make sure that Brandon is good mm-hmm. and make sure that he's taken care of. So how do you end up getting, do you get other athletes? How do you end up getting other athletes? So all of a sudden I be, become this guy at Michigan to the basketball <laughs> and football team that everybody's coming to for financial advice. Which by the way, is not a bad place, not a bad school to be at where the football and the basketball team's coming at you. Exactly. Like, try so, that shit at Hofstra or something. Let me know how that works out for you. So, exactly. So, so football and basketball team starts looking at you. Starts looking at me for advice. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm on one hand pitching my dad on, I need a little bit of money to start up a business. <laughs> Is this a good idea? Uh-huh. And him and, and a woman named Donnie Fall, who still you know takes care of me today, um, who was who the CFO to my dad's former business, said, wow, this is a great idea. And we run businesses for a living. We can help you get started. Uh, on the other hand, I'm at Michigan pitching as if I know everything <laughs> about managing money. And... I've got Manny Harris, who I don't know if you remember, played for the Cavs, yep. and Deshaun Sims, who's now playing overseas, yep. and Donovan Warren, who is uh, ultimately drafted to the Jets, and Greg Matthews, and Brandon Miner, who bounced around from a number of different teams, and BG, all at Michigan, uh, asking me for advice. So all of a sudden, I'm like, fuck, I've got about eight clients, and I'm, wow. I'm still in college. Wow. So I decide to incorporate and form the business January, so about after the first semester of my junior year, when Michigan had just finished the season, Brandon had just, you know, ultimately finished his senior year at Michigan, um, had a fantastic year, was declaring for the draft. He went through the agent selection process, interviewed his final three, and selected a guy named Joel Siegel, who's one of the top NFL agents. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how I embarked in, in building what was Compass Management. So what I love about that story is, you know, I think... And why I thought you'd be a perfect guest for this show is we have a lot of, you know, young entrepreneurial entrepreneurial people that listen and watch the show. And it was like, I think there's this generation now that feels like they have to have everything figured out. Right. I got to have a business plan. I got to figure this out. I got to know what my five year plan is. I got to know how this is going to end and how we're going to pivot here and all these things. And I'm like, I come from the school of like, just start and you're going to you're going to fuck some shit up. You're going to make some mistakes and you'll pivot and you'll learn from that. And. You'll figure it out, but just start. And um, I always think through it's like, there's the person that spends a year on the business plan, and there's a person that has already been in business for a year and, and learned along the way, and that person always figures shit out, right? So you build your business, you get it to a point where you can actually, you end up selling the actual business. What was yeah. that thought process? How'd you get there? So, I mean, there's five and a half years in between starting the business and, and ultimately selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll give you a little bit of, of the story um, and, and to, to comment on what you said, which is funny, is I never built a business plan. <laughs> the business plan was build a family office for athletes and get more athletes. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because about three years later, um, this woman, Donnie, who now manages my family office and really takes care of me and all my business affairs, was like, 
pushing me. You need a business plan. And like, is this, this the business plan? This is the business plan. We did it. <laughs> and um, so ultimately throughout that process, there's a ton of learnings. Of um, at one point, we had brought in uh, Joe Dumars and Mark Wahlberg as partners. Wow. Um, wanted to get guys who could ultimately teach me how to relate to an athlete or a celebrity um, and, and really understand how to speak their language because we were as much in the education business as we were in the financial services business because yeah. it was all about teaching. Yeah, well, it's like at that point, athletes understand an agent and they think they understand a financial advisor. Family office to most people, they don't get that. They don't get that. Yeah. And and by the way, the term family office, I still think if you say it on you know a, a street block in New York, people have no fucking clue what right. you're talking about. Right. It's still such a niche thing in the high net worth uh, world in terms of service providers. Um, so it was unique. And uh, throughout the process of, of building Compass, we ultimately at one point looked, can we raise capital and start doing this for just wealthy individuals and not just athletes and entertainers? Mm -hmm. um, we had brought on a number of different clients, both in the NBA, NFL, MLB. We had brought on a band. We started spreading into to music. <laughs> And it was just a, a domino effect of people that I would meet. I had uh, no website. It was just a client login. And I had no social media. And the reason that I still have no social media to this day is because I didn't want anyone to know how young I was. <laughs> so We're going to get into that too, by the way. And, and so we go, you know, the, the, we, we really believe, similar to Robot, that we were the, the people behind the stars yeah. or behind yeah, the, the work, guy. The work speaks for itself. The, the client speaks for itself. Yes, exactly. 100%. The people and the families and the, the client speaks for themselves. So we'll be behind. And it was word of mouth. And ultimately, after about four years, I decided this feels really good. And to look at where our clients were financially and the success that they were having was amazing. But I wanted to see what my next opportunity was. So I said, why don't I email Stephen Ross? And why don't I try and find um, an opportunity to talk to him and just get life advice or business advice? And the reason I thought of him is because I went to the Ross School of Business. Yeah, so so perfect <coughs> transition. You're a pro at this, man. Perfect transition. <laughs> um, Stephen Ross, so for anyone that's been under you know, a boulder, not even a rock, Stephen Ross, owner of the Miami Dolphins, maybe the most successful, if not... Definitely one of the, if not the most successful, you know, real estate developers. Hudson Yards is kind of his baby, right? Um, I just had the honor of being on a panel at University of Michigan with Nate Forbes, Uncle Nate. So Uncle Nate, Nate. listening, what's <laughs> up? Shout out to you. Um, you can't be on the campus without seeing Steve Ross's name somewhere or everywhere. Let's just be clear. It, it that, does right? feel like he owns Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to be clear. So this to me is one of the most intriguing things in your journey. It's you basically co-called or cold emailed Steve Ross? Yeah. So the, the thinking behind it, and we'll get into this more because I, I think this actually uh, contributes a lot to who I am, but I was very fortunate to have a lot of mentors and a lot of people helping me build Compass. In fact, I don't know if I truly appreciated the level of mentorship that I had um, and the level of guidance and support in terms of smart people around me until later in my career at Relevant, which I'll get into later. Mm -hmm. um, but I did know at the time that I had to keep learning 
And that's been the foundation of my entire career, which is try and find really smart people, try to ask as many questions as possible. And it's like, you know, when you get a calculator during a math test, if you can figure out how to get to the answers quicker, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. So I've always learned, why don't I go to industry specialists in different areas and learn from them? And Steve not only was in sports, was successful in real estate development, as you mentioned, owned Equinox and SoulCycle and had all these businesses. Uh, but it was his Miami Dolphins interest that intrigued me. And so I emailed sross at related.com, steve.ross at related.com, I think Steven.ross. I think I emailed like eight emails for Steve Ross. <laughs> so let's say you didn't even have his email. Had no idea right? of his email. And I think that's such an interesting thing because I have people DM me all the time and people, you know, comment on, you know, the podcast show. And I'm like, <clears throat> hey, don't don't solicit business and don't give me, you know, your resume over DM. Like find the proper channels to reach out to me in and like shoot your shot there. And people are like, Whoa, we don't have your email. I always think of you. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like Danny literally sent Every variation of Steve <laughs> Ross, <laughs> an email until he got the right one. So, so you go and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna shoot my shot. I'm gonna send him this email. But my shot was very simply, I went to Ross School of Business. This is the business compass management I had formed. These are a couple of the name athletes that I'm working with. You know, here's my partner Joe Dumars. Um, I just want to spend a half hour with you to pick your brain, and that's truly what I wanted. In fact, when I went to make the, you know, well, actually, I'll skip a step. Steve responds in eight minutes. Wow. And so I get an email back, love to meet with you, and copies an assistant on it. So, so to give, so hold that thought, to give people, like, context, how old is Steve? Steve? He's 75, 76, Yeah, he's probably 75 at the time. So let's just say 75, right? Round number. It's like, that to me, and I'll get into, like, the story on, like, well, how you first introduced me to Stephen Ross. It's like... At 75, he's still getting after it. Like he's still responding That's an understatement. to an email. Right? He's still responding to an email within eight minutes of a cold call email. By the way, I have guilt of going on vacation next week because <laughs> I know Steve is grinding. That's an incredible thing. So, like the fact that you send him an email, he doesn't necessarily know you from a can of paint, and he replies. What's he say to you in the email? I think it's a very simple response. Love to meet with you. And he copies an assistant on it. I can right. probably figure find the, you know, figure Schedule. it out. Yep. Okay. So I follow up to make sure that I'm getting the meeting. Uh -huh. And it was a woman named Rosie. And, and I still remember this specifically, um, who's, who's not with him anymore. So I set up the meeting. Steve, you know, ultimately in an attempt to blow me off, says, I'll meet you in Ann Arbor at 1030 PM on X date. 1030 PM. PM. Okay. So I was... Of course, elated that I got the meeting time, I'm ready to go. I put my suit on and I start to put an agenda together, I think maybe the day before. And I started thinking in my head, shit, I'm, I think maybe at this time I'm 23 or 24. I've got a business to talk about, but I don't even have anything to ask Steve. Mm -hmm. I think my only ask was, I just want to learn, can you give me advice on what I should do? What do you think of my business? What do you think I should do with my career? Because to your point, and, and you brought this up earlier, the reason I got into my business is I had no clue what the fuck I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. I knew what I didn't want to do, which is go in finance and sit and be a banker and yep. behind a desk. Yep. And I had a happenstance opportunity take me into compass management. Um, and I followed my passion. Um, and so ultimately there was nothing specific to ask Steve. I ultimately get to go meet him and it's him and Jeff Blau, who is the CEO of related companies, also a Michigan alum. Mm -hmm. And we sit in the lobby of the Ross School of Business in Ann Arbor <laughs> at 10.30. Not intimidating at all, by the way. You're sitting in the lobby of his building. Exactly. I, and I think the lights are half out at this point. <laughs> and I can sense that I'm getting, 
you know, Steve and Jeff on the way to go to bed after a late <laughs> night and they really don't want to be there. Um, but ultimately, I think an hour and a half later, we're still talking. Steve had connected me to a, a guy named Nat Moore, who's still with the Dolphins, just to talk about what I was doing. Um, but I, but I, not to cut you, I want to spend some time on, because it happens to me on a much smaller level. It's like people are like, hey, I want to pick your brain, right? You have to do the hard work, right? You have to go and you got to you got to make it easy for the person you're trying to spend time with and learn from. And you have to come prepared knowing the questions you want to ask. You have to come prepared to show them, hey, I've, I've gotten this far. I've done this. I'm worthy of your time. And you have to be very clear on what you want to get out of it, right? So you didn't just sit there and be like, so Steve, tell me what made you successful. Right. Right. It was something specific to, hey, this is what I'm doing. This might be my business challenge. This is what I'm trying to figure out. Can you help me? Yeah. So what I came in with specifically, and I think I figured this out in the car ride there, was <clears throat> this is the business I built. I'm working with 30 plus athletes at this point or 25 plus athletes at this point. And I think I'm ready for the next challenge. I don't know how to take this business to the next level. Is this, you know, ultimately... Uh, what I should leverage to get to the next step. Excuse me. Should I look into other businesses? I didn't know where I should go next, but I felt like at this point, I felt like I really understood the family office business. I really understood helping families manage their money, let alone athletes, because it really didn't matter whether we worked with an athlete or we worked with you. And so I don't, it, I don't like that you said athletes and then me. Like, I'm not an athlete, but we'll talk about that <laughs> off air. Go ahead, continue the story. No, it's story. a compliment because you have a bank account we could have worked with. <laughs> so we, we, we go, I go in and I, I basically established what, what we had accomplished. Um, I established that I was at this inflection point of trying to figure out what's next. How do I leverage this business to take the next step? Do I raise money and go work with just high net worth individuals? Do I get into marketing for athletes? Should I also be an agent? I don't, I'm just asking him specific questions mm -hmm. about if he were me, I had accomplished this based on his experience in sports, what did he think? Um, and he had a, some specific feedback in that moment, which was, why don't you connect with the Dolphins, see if they think there's an opportunity for their players to utilize this service? And that was really the next step from that meeting. Got it. So, how do you get to the point where you end up selling your business and you end up working for Steve Ross? How do you get so, there? So over the next nine months, I had started showing up in New York and meeting with Steve probably, I don't know, we met maybe six or seven times, maybe, no, probably five or six times at this point. So when you say showing up, you're literally being persistent, like, hey, it's me again, Steve. Hey, it's me again. I'm here. <laughs> and, and hey, it's me again. I'd love to spend some time with you. And I'd connected with the Dolphins at this point. And Steve, after meeting with me a couple of times, had said, look, I think you're a very talented individual, but I think this business is capped out and I think you're going to be better utilized or your skills will be better utilized doing something else. You should sell the business. How'd you take that, right? Because I think a lot of times, especially young entrepreneurs, it's their baby, right? It's something yeah. you've spent all your life with and you really believe in. Did you take it like, hey, here's an extremely successful you know, businessman, he probably knows what the fuck he's talking about and maybe I should look at it a little differently or were you like, maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about? So to be honest with you, when I really think back on it, once he said that, because his voice had so much authority to me and I was uh, looked at him as, as such an inspirational figure and what he had accomplished, I immediately said, of course, my business is fucking <laughs> stupid. And 
I went back to Detroit and I told my dad and Donnie, I said, all right, we got it. I got to sell the business. And at this point, I, a fear set in of, okay, now what do I do next? Mm. Because I, I didn't even, you know, and at this point, I had partially been at the place myself where I was looking for the next thing. Mm -hmm. So I think this was almost pushing me over the edge um, of, of understanding and hearing somebody else from the outside say that as well. But it was also uh, a sense of nervousness of, okay, what do I do next? So you end up selling the business. You, you end up working with Steve. What's your first role working with Steve? So I, I joined RSE Ventures. And, and there's one interim period where there's a guy named Matt Higgins who runs RSE Ventures. And I built a great relationship with Matt. Um, but also between trying to impress Steve, I spent the next six months trying to impress Matt while simultaneously doing an auction for my business with a couple investment advisory and accounting firms that had looked at buying it. And I was selling Matt on, on why I was a good addition to his team. And I joined ultimately in a business development M&A role, um, you know, probably six months later. So throughout a year process, I had sold the business and joined in an M&A business development role at RSC, was working directly for Matt Higgins, um, and then ultimately Steve. Um, and RSC Ventures, where I joined, was a sports and entertainment investment company. So you take this role, and this is this is an important one. It's like I think to my earlier point of of young entrepreneurs wanting to know have it all figured out, right? Like if I take this role, that means I'll do this for eighteen months, and then I'll do this, and then if I do this, that means I'll be ready to do that. When you take this role, do you know what the following step is for you? Do you know what you want it to be? Like, what are you thinking when you take this role? No idea. <laughs> what I knew was that if I was around Matt and Steve, that I assumed good things would happen and I would continue learning. Um, ultimately, I was fortunate enough to sell the business and to get what for me was a big check at the time mm -hmm. um, from a group called FFO that bought the business, which was a, a larger family office business. Um, but there is one step, which is I, within a month, had moved from two places in Los Angeles and Detroit to New York. So mm -hmm. closed up two places that I lived wow. and moved to New York without even thinking about it because I knew that I would figure it out as I went along. But you're all in. You're hey, I'm head in. first. I'm in. I'm in. I'm moving. I'm in. So now I'm going to fast forward to when you and I meet. Um, uh, we're actually in this where the studio is, in the office where the studio is, and my business partner and and best friend Maverick Carter. Um, he happens to be in New York in our New York office. And, you know, there's tons of people come in. I mean, if, if you've been fortunate enough to spend any time in our office, Colin Kaepernick can be here one day. LeBron can be here the next day. The CEO of this company, you know, so it's no shocker when people are in here. Um, and everyone's just running around, just handling whatever their business is. So I'm in here running from one meeting to the next, and I see you come into his office and you come into his office you have a suit on and you know you do your thing and and i see you leave an hour hour and a half later whatever so i ask mav as i normally do when there's someone in the office i don't recognize i'm like hey who, who's that guy you met with he's like oh it's it's this guy his name's danny um he's cold emailed me he cold called me he sent me an email and he said he wanted to spend some time and and you know and i gave him some time and i said okay like is he good he goes think he's going to be fucking commissioner of the NFL one day or whatever else he wants to do. I think he's that good. And I was like, oh, all right. And I go about my business, right? <laughs> Talk to me about why you reached out to Mav and just this overall, I think people, 
this day and age have like this fear of like either reaching out to people they don't know unless they have guaranteed success or knowing the proper way to do it, right? You were already successful in your own right. You had sold a business. You have a successful career with Stephen Ross and Matt Higgins and you're doing your thing there. Why reach out to Mav? Like what's your thinking on Mav specifically and a step further, just your thinking as a whole on like cold calling people. I'm just like super intrigued by that. So Mav specifically is I had watched when I grew up uh, in Detroit area through some friends that, that were actually uh, families that had minority investments and controlling interest in the Cavaliers. When LeBron got drafted, these guys had just bought the Cavaliers. It was Dan Gilbert and Nate Forbes. Uncle and Nate. Uncle Nate, who's uh, <laughs> like not only uh, a mentor, but family to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching Mav and Rich and Randy and, and the whole group when LeBron had been drafted. They came to Detroit for meetings, mm-hmm. and I was just intrigued you know, speeding the process up, what they had been able to accomplish with LeBron, but specifically watching how Mav had transitioned from the athlete management world into brand marketing, into investing, creating a family office, selling half of the, the marketing firm to Fenway Sports Group, building a media company with, with Uninterrupted at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Maul was here actually in the office. Yep. He had just been leaving Pepsi. <laughs> Shout out to Jamal. Yep. Shout out to Jamal. They were, you know, at this point they're, you know, building a film and television company. So I had just watched such an, to me, an, an inspiring level of success, but an ability to transition, to transition from one career in athlete management, which is completely different than media, which is different than film and television, which is different than brand marketing, which you were doing. Yep. And so I, and I had watched you guys build robot from the sidelines and just been a fan. Um, so I had asked, you know, to answer your question directly, how do you feel about cold emailing? Well, my perspective is one, if somebody doesn't respond, I'm in the same place I would be before I sent the email. Mm. So I've, I've introduced myself to people, you know, ultimately that have become close friends all across the board. I'll, you know, I'll talk about, you know, a guy like Peter Goober later that I had Dre introduce me to. So I, I always try and find a common ground, which is with Mav, I'd found one or two people that <clears throat> at least I could name drop them or, you know, provide them as references. So if he texted or called yeah. somebody and said, hey, do you know this guy? It can help validate, hey, it he's a real guy. Vali- right? yeah. validate that I'm not, yeah. you know, not just some schmo. Yeah, exactly. I want some free LeBron 16s. Exactly. Yep. And I just tried to put a quick note together that, uh, would would get me in the door, but from my perspective, it was it was what Mav had done transitioning so many different careers, and it was simply if he doesn't respond or doesn't want to meet me, I'm in the same place I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, you just mentioned someone who's become you know close to my heart and a, and a very good friend, a, a very large little brother, Draymond Green. How do you and Dray meet? So when I had Compass. My partner, Joe Dumars, his son, Jordan Dumars, worked in the business with me. Okay. And Jordan was like brothers with Dre. They grew up playing AU basketball together with the family in Detroit. Um, Jordan had really looked out for Dre when he was growing up in terms of basketball and, and some other things, obviously, along with, with Mary and Dre's family and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and how important his mom is in his life. But I know Jordan was an important friend and Joe was an important mentor and, and friend as well. Um, I had met Dre when I was at Michigan still, just starting Compass. He was at Michigan State, and we built a great relationship. And it was funny because I never actually pitched him on Compass. And if you know Dre, 
You know he's very stubborn. So you don't you don't sell Dre. No, not Draymond Green. Stubborn. No way. <laughs> so I never sold Dre, and I don't I don't know if he would remember this, but I I bet you he could tell the same exact story, which was, you know, I saw him a couple times in his rookie year, just when I had been out in the L.A. area for work and was going out to to the West Coast. I would pop up to San Francisco and we'd hang out, and we wouldn't talk about business at all. Ultimately, I think it was the playoffs his first year. He reached out and was worried about like insurance on his house or his car or had something said something along the lines of I'm in the middle of the playoffs. I'm on the bench and I'm thinking about whether my shit is insured or not. And that's Dre's way of saying, okay, I need you. And so he had a financial advisor at this point, but no fucking money to invest. Like I told him and realized what he needed was a real family office. And so ultimately, um, that built our business relationship, but we were friends, you know, years prior to that and had built a nice relationship through Joe and Jordan Dumars and, um, had, had, uh, become pretty close, but we got very close, um, through working together as well. Um, and, and built our friendship through that. It's like typical Dre, like Dre wouldn't give you the satisfaction of saying he needs you or your, you know, your business expertise. It would be something along the lines of like, Hey, I mean, if you like wanted to, we could probably work together. Or <laughs> exactly. Like, he's, he's not gonna ask for your help. He's he probably you, made me beg. <laughs> what is your capacity? What is your relationship with Dre today from a business standpoint? Obviously, you guys are like brothers and close, and yeah, I've seen you guys together. And I always depends what day I see you guys. I can't tell who's the big brother and the little brother. It just varies on whatever mood you guys are in. But from a business standpoint, what's your relationship with Draymond Green today? So I still oversee all of Dre's business. I act in a very similar role to what Mav does for LeBron. I think that's a very simple way to put it. Um, I'd consider him a business partner. Uh, I'm an advisor to him. Um, and, and I also learn from him. I mean, um, which is one important thing that I think is worth, worth talking about, you know, after Dre specifically is um, making the transitions I have in my career have actually helped me to understand you're, you're, you always have to be learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mav is, is the epitome of that Absolutely. in terms of his curiosity. But um, overseeing Dre's business, um, we're partners in, in everything we do. We actually set up holding companies for our investments in which we have given each other stakes in each other's holding companies. So our investments are aligned um, and we're, we're partners in everything we do. Love it. So before we get out of here, obviously your current job, right? It's yeah. uh, your CEO of Relevant Sports. I mean, I want to say... When you and I met, you were still at RSC. Yeah, still right? at RSC. Still yeah. at RSC, and we worked on this little thing together called El Clasico. Yeah. And you call me one day, and you're like, "Hey, um, so a little bit of news." And I'm like, "What's up?" And you're like, um, "I'm about to become CEO of Relevant Sports." <laughs> um, were you 30 at CEO of Relevant Sports? 29. No, 28 at that point. So 28, and again, we'll we'll. Kind of ended on the age thing because you referenced it before. You're 28. You become CEO of Relevant Sports. What's that like? Is Steve calling? Like, what? How'd you find this news out that you were being promoted to be CEO of Relevant Sports? So it initially started on a trip that me and you took together with Steve and Mav and Future and and Charlie Stilatano, who had started Relevant. Incredible trip, by the way. To El Clasico in Madrid. It was April of 2017 in Madrid. Yep. And we had a phenomenal trip. As you know. Yes. Um, and it was on the plane back that we had started working on El Clasico, and I was lucky enough to have you and the robot team really as a partner throughout the entire process. And through the success that El Clasico was having, Charlie and Steve started talking about 
bringing me on as CEO uh, at that point, I think it was April, you know, May, maybe May at that point, the, the two of them and Matt Higgins, who's at RSE, um, as I wanted to look for a full-time operating role, they were moving on from a CEO. They had, Charlie had founded the business with Matt and Steve, and they thought that I was best suited to, to ultimately take over. But it was really the success that we were having in El Clasico, and I was fortunate to have Robot and you know all the other great partners that helped put on that, that specific event um, that ultimately drove them to say, this is the right person to carry the business forward with Charlie. I think like one of like the dopest things in your journey and a common theme in your journey is <clears throat> you haven't necessarily known like what the end game is necessarily, right? It's like you've had faith in the partners you've had. You've crushed whatever's been in front of you, right? Whether it was Compass, whether it was RSE, you know, now this. Um, speak a little bit to like your mindset of um, having faith in the process, but also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Also, um, just being open to like the opportunities that come to you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's having faith in people. Mm. And the same way that I uh, quickly trusted you and Robot um, in the way that you guys quickly trusted me when you didn't know who the fuck I was, um, I was fortunate to have great people who led me to to bigger opportunities. So I've always looked at things in my life about who I'm doing it with more so than specifically what I'm doing. And maybe that's the wrong way. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, so far, I've been fortunate that business is all about the people that are involved, who's driving the business, how they're building it. And uh, it's it's been a people thing. And, and I haven't looked past who I'm getting into business with Obviously, you need to understand what the opportunity is and you need to do a little bit of market research on, on what industry or, or what specific thing you're doing. Yeah, of course. But I didn't know shit about global football. I, I think I played soccer when I was five years old and didn't get past the oranges from the moms. <laughs> and I'd never watched a soccer match in my life. Mm -hmm. The first one I ever been to was El Clasico in, in Madrid with you guys. You and I both. Yeah. So it, to me, it was, it was I knew it was the biggest sport in the world. I knew it was a massive opportunity. I knew there was substantial capital behind it, but it was all about the people. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that makes you fucking brilliant and, and uber successful is you know what you don't know and you're trusting people, right? I think I can name, if we had the time, a hundred times when you're like, hey, what do you think I should do here, right? Or I've seen you ask other people for advice in it. When you're in a position where you're like, I'm CEO, I can say what we're gonna do and that's what we're gonna do and everyone will get in line. That's never been your style. Your style has always been one of, hey, you know, you know, you're more experienced, so this is more your expertise. You know, give me some advice or a point of view on what we should do here. Where's that come from for you and your throughout your career? Well, it's it's interesting. It started initially at Compass and then at RSE of of truly appreciating that I had to rely on people with greater expertise than me and had to lean on those people and trust those people to guide me through it because I truly didn't have the capabilities. Um, I knew at Compass that I could put the right people in the room to ultimately guide our athletes that had experience and expertise in accounting and tax and estate planning and all the different services we provided. And I would be the one to bring in the clients and educate the clients almost as like a uh, interpreter from the accountants mm. and tax specialists and other financial professionals to the actual families of the athletes that we were working with. Um, one thing I've really learned, which is important though, 
uh, in terms of curiosity is, and, and I've said this before, I had success with Compass coming out of college. I'm 20 when I started it. Ultimately, we sell the business. I'm mid-20s. Then I go to RSE. We make some investments that do really well. And I'm doing really well with Matt Higgins and Steve, Steve Ross and um, having success. And so I came into Relevant. When they had appointed me the CEO, I thought I was great. Mm-hmm. And what I realized now looking back is I stopped learning. Meaning I thought that I had this. I thought I got this. I'll figure it out. And I know how to manage people and I know how to do this. But ultimately, I'm managing, uh, you know, $150 million p I'm managing, you know, at this point, taking the business from just a core international soccer tournament to youth, women's, marketing businesses. We had 75 people. And I made a lot of mistakes. Hiring, um, process-oriented, focusing on the wrong things. And what I realized was I stopped learning. I stopped asking questions. And so I can tell you now, um, I don't know if truly along the way I understood the, uh, the, the responsibility I had as a CEO mm. in terms of putting the right people in place, learning from them. I always knew it was important to learn, um, but I've put even more of an emphasis on that now and, and in giving advice to anybody um, and you know, I, I guess I'm fortunate to be in this position. Um, I would say that I've learned a ton over the last few years in terms of doubling down on that. I think that what I'm good at is putting teams in place, inspiring those people, providing them the resources to be successful, but never being the expert in any of the specific areas and relying on and trusting smart people to, to guide me through that process. And I think you can't stop asking questions you can't stop learning. I mean, you and your partner, you know, have, um, you know, remain more curious than anybody I've met. And um, I'm, I'm fortunate to have you guys, but, you know, also a number of mentors that, that do that for me. There's a word you've said that we say <clears throat> on off the air to each other via text, you know, and we live is curious and curiosity. Speak a little bit about that. To me, that's, you know, really humbling yourself that you don't have all the answers and finding a few mentors or a few people that you can rely on that, you know, it's more than mentorship that are friends that you can call on. They may become partners and it may be, may have a business transaction component to it down the road, but that are true relationships that you can rely on as guides. Because to me, if you stop learning and you stop asking questions, that means you're no longer innovating. And I think if you look at any successful CEO, you know, I read a lot, you know, from Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos and some of these amazing companies like Apple and, and Amazon. Those guys never think they're the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And and Steve Ross would say this with Related that, you know, he's fortunate to have Jeff Blau and Harvey Spivak with Equinox and Bruce Beal at Related and Tom Garfinkel at the Dolphins and Matt Higgins and all these guys um, to lead him in different areas that have different expertise. And he puts them all together. Obviously, he's unique um, in his ability to have an, an unbelievable vision. Um, but for me, I've seen so many people continue to ask questions. I think Uncle Nate is one of the most curious people I've ever met. Absolutely. And he's one of the more successful people I've ever met. Absolutely. So I'm fortunate like you that we've seen a lot of people that have had success that still have the humility to understand that they don't know everything. And I try and use that as a, a block to ground me um, to keep asking questions. No, I think it's 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 spot on what you say. It's And, and Mav has taught me. Mav's younger than me. Mav has taught me as my partner and friend, 
mentors come in all forms and shapes, right? It's like you could have mentors that are older than you, mentors that are younger than you. You know, you know, you know, my VP, you know, Chelsea. I learned from Chelsea daily. Um, mentors, I think there's this like delusion of like mentors should be older and wise and all that. You can learn from people that have failed. Right. right. The mentors come in all shapes. Um, to that extent, before I get you out of here, um, I want to ask you one last question. You know, for that 19 year old kid that's in a dorm in Michigan right now listening to this, um, or at some other school, or not even in school, and is trying to figure out, you know, they want to get their business off the ground, and they have this vision of, I don't care if they want to go and, you know, have a t-shirt company, or they want to go and start a management company, what advice can you give that 19, 20-year-old kid that's trying to figure it out and um, trying to get their start? Two things. Stay curious, ask questions, and take risks, because... If you don't take risks, whether it's cold calling or trying that t-shirt company or whatever you're going to do, you're in the same fucking place that you were when you started. Mm -hmm. We didn't even get to the fact that I, I tried to start a streetwear brand with Big Sean as my model when I was 16 years old. And, and I'll show you. It was called Pur Purple Gang Clothing, one of the worst clothing companies to ever be created. Um, and so throughout my life, I've, it's it's continue to take risks because if, if you're going to just go status quo and take one step at a time, you're, you're never going to be able to, you know, it's like, can you win a lot at a casino if you, if you don't really bet? And so, so my perspective is to that 19 year old kid, ask questions, find good mentors, don't stop learning and take some risk. I love it. Danny, Danny Silman, CEO of Relevant Sports. More importantly, my friend, more importantly, we got to get you out of here. You have a flight to catch to Europe, and um, we'll start our vacation in a couple of days. Actually, when this comes out, we'll be on a boat somewhere in um, France. So Good. So I hope I can still understand myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming out, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, I need some people. Peace.